graders help us. And this morning, I want to invite a few of our fourth graders to come up. You guys can come on up. And we're gonna, they're going to help us uh, say these words together. They'll be on the screen. And uh, I want to invite you to, I'm going to turn my microphone off and let them lead, guys. The words are in white right there back at the back wall, so you can look right there, okay? Let's say these words together this morning. Uh, give them a round of applause for helping us this morning. Y'all can have a seat. Thank you. You can be seated as well. And as you're uh, finding your seat, I want to assure you, if you um, are new to Kaufman Church of Christ, that Chris did not age significantly while on his sabbatical. He left with one color of hair and came back with a different color. Uh, he's preparing for a, a side gig that he has each year as he... Uh, becomes Santa and helps bring joy to lots of lots of different people. So today we're talking about um, self-control. We've, we've talked about each of these words that our students just helped us read together. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. And then today we arrive at the end at self-control. And I know I've said this before in previous weeks, but I hope that the practice, we've done that every week, saying those, these words together, and I hope that the practice of that uh, has been formative for you and encouraging to you as what I really think we're doing as we do that is we're proclaiming uh, what we believe and what we desire for our lives, that we want to be people who are formed in this kind of a way, formed by these, these qualities, these fruit that Paul writes about in Galatians 5. And so I want to thank both our fourth graders today and our fifth graders that helped us last week uh, to say uh, those, that scripture. Uh, let's begin our time in, in God's word with a prayer, if you would bow with me. Father, we're thankful uh, for today. We're thankful that you are on the throne and that as we look to you, uh, we're reminded of your love for us and your care for us in sending the spirit to earth to be here among us, to be in us, to form us and shape us into the people you want us to be. And we pray as we study together this morning that you'll give us hearts that are receptive to what it is that you want to remind us about and teach us about today, that we'll have eyes to hear and ears, eyes to see and ears to hear. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And so uh, Eugene Peterson, in his book, Christ Plays in 10,000 Places, tells a really funny story about how he learned self-control. There's a boy from school named Garrison Johns. And Garrison was the school bully. Eugene didn't really know him, but one day, at the beginning of first grade, Garrison Johns discovered Eugene. And for weeks after school, most afternoons, Garrison Johns would catch Eugene and he would beat him up. And when Garrison found out that Eugene was a Christian, it made it worse. He started calling him a Jesus sissy. Eugene tried to find alternate ways of getting home, cutting through alleys hiding after school, but somehow it seemed that Garrison always found him. Eugene would arrive most afternoons home bruised and humiliated. 
He liked going to school. He liked his teacher. But every day, as the beginning of, as the end of the school year drew closer and closer, Eugene could feel his heart getting anxious. He could feel himself getting nervous, and he could feel himself begin to sweat as he knew that he was going to have to prepare himself for Garrison Johns and his daily beating. And so this went on for a while, and by now, school has been going on for several months. And on this day, as Eugene walks home from school, he's playing and talking with a few friends, and Garrison Johns, like other days, shows up. And of course, he starts jabbing him, he starts taunting him, and then in that moment, that's when it happened. It was totally unexpected. It was totally out of character. Something snapped within Eugene. He grabbed Garrison, and to his surprise, he was stronger than Garrison Johns. And so he wrestles him to the ground, and he sits in the classic move that you see. He gets his knees on top of Garrison Johns' arms so he can't move his arms, and he's pinned his arms down. Garrison was helpless in this moment. And it was too good to be true as he felt this rush of energy come over him. And so Eugene begins to hit him in the face with his fists. And as Eugene tells the story, it felt so good, he just kept hitting him over and over and over. Blood spurts from Garrison's nose. A lovely crimson on the snow that was still on the ground, he writes in the story. By now, of course, other kids have all surrounded like happens when school fights break out. And they're cheering and they're egging Eugene on. Black his eyes. Bust his teeth. Eugene said to Garrison, say, uncle, give up. But Garrison wouldn't say it. And so Eugene hit him again. More blood. More cheering. And then Eugene writes in the story, that is when his Christian training reasserted itself. And so instead of punching Garrison again in the face, he said, say I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. <laughs> Garrison wouldn't say it. And so Eugene hit him again. More blood. He said, say, I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And then Eugene writes, Garrison said it. I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And in his book, Eugene writes this great line about this moment. He says, Garrison Johns was my first Christian convert. <laughs> the final thing that Paul writes about in this list of fruit of the Spirit is self-control. And like most of us, Eugene Peterson had a line, and he was, he was not willing to go past that line. He put up with things to a certain point, and then he snapped. He lost his ability to have self-control, and I think we can relate to that, right? That we, we have, we have a, this, this sense in which we're pushed, and we're pushed, and we're pushed, but we finally reach a breaking point. It's interesting, this word self-control, the word that Paul uses only shows up six times in the entire Bible. Ekratia is the Greek word. It simply means self-mastery or to have mastery over. And it gets translated in the NIV that we read from this morning as self-control. If you read from an older translation like the King James of the Bible, it gets translated as temperance. What's interesting about this word, though, is that for Greek people, a person could not, they believed that a person could not reach their full potential if they were constantly overcome by passions and by desires. So they had to have a master. They had to master themselves. They had to have self-control. And the word that Paul uses was an incredibly common word. It's only used six times in the whole Bible, but it was an incredible, incredibly common word in the Greek world. People like Socrates and Plato used it all the time, talked about it all the time. 
And when they talked about it, they talked about it differently. When they talked about it, they meant something more like self-directed, not self-control. Like, it's all about you, right? That you can control yourself. You have the ability by yourself to, to control yourself. Self-control, we, they thought, was based on their strength, their ability. You have this power in you if you just flip the switch, if you just tap into it and access it, if you just work hard enough, you'll be able to attain self-mastery. And what's interesting, of course, is that this is the exact same way that we, in our culture, typically think about the idea of self-control. Right? You wouldn't be so angry all the time if you just work harder. You wouldn't be tempted by sin if you just have some discipline. You'd be able to meet those goals that you've set for yourself if you wouldn't be so lazy. Right? That's the kind of self-talk that we typically have. This is how we typically think of self-control. The, the problem is, though, in all of these examples and lots of others that I could give, the energy to be the person that you want to be is you. But here, Paul includes self-control. Think about that. In a list of things that the Spirit is charged with producing in us. Paul includes a term from the Greek world that would have been understood as something that you do on your own. He includes it in a list of things that you don't do on your own, but that the Spirit produces in you. See, the, these ancient philosophers, Socrates and Plato and people like them, they believed that humans have a problem and the solution is you. Humans have a problem and the solution is you. If you can just work harder, if you can just be more disciplined, if you can just suck it up and do what you need to do to get the job done. But the, other, the difference is, you know, the way that they, they viewed it, they viewed this as like the end. That's the end. That's the highest thing you can achieve is self-mastery for the sake of yourself. Your best life now, thousands of years ago, was to put yourself at center stage. And again, this idea is everywhere. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. This idea is everywhere in our culture. Our culture, it would seem, is more influenced by people like Plato and Socrates than it is by Jesus Christ. Because this is what people believe. There are self-help and self-mastery tips around every corner. And yet here it is in the list of fruit that the Spirit produces in followers of Jesus Christ. So what gives, right? Why is it on this list? Which is a great question that I'm glad you asked. I think it's on this list because Paul is brilliant. I think he, what he's doing is brilliant. He's taking a common idea that would have been very familiar in their day, and it turns out is very familiar in ours. And he is redefining it. He is reimagining it. If Plato and Socrates were making this list, maybe another way to think about this, self-control would have been at the front of the list, would have been the first thing that they mentioned. Because for them, it was the end in and of itself. But when Paul is making his list, he, in sort of a subtle way to kind of acknowledge that he's thinking about it differently than the people of the day were thinking about it, he places it at the end of his list. And what he's doing is reminding us that the Christian life is not self-directed. It's others-directed and focused outward. And this entire list, love and joy and peace and patience, just think about these things, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, they're all others-directed, they're others-oriented. 
And by giving us this last one, self-control, I think Paul is suggesting a new way to think about this idea. Paul's saying we typically think of, culture thinks of, self-control. Self-control happens by placing more focus on ourselves. If you'll just focus more on yourself, then you'll be able to have greater self-control, mastery over your desires and your passions and your sin. Self-control happens by taking ourselves out of the center, though, right? That's, this is where we typically think about it, but it's not actually the case. The self is more controlled or more mastered when there is something else to focus on would be another way to think about it. Focusing on something outside of you. Paul writes about this in a different place in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Listen to what he says. He says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control, same word, in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. He's talking about the Olympic Games, right? But we do it not to receive some earthly reward, not to receive something that we get recognized for in this life. We do it for an imperishable reward. Paul says that athletes exercise self-control because they have a goal. They have a purpose. They have something that they're aiming for, they're shooting for. And people like this who excel at the top of their game cannot afford to be distracted by every passion or desire. So they, they focus on this thing that's outside of themselves. They focus on winning the prize, on getting the wreath, is the way he says it. But he says, we aren't after a prize. Prizes fade away. Trophies collect dust. What we're after is something that will last, something that will be eternal. And so our external focus isn't the prize. It isn't being on top. Our external focus is on God and on neighbor. So typically, people think, right, self-control happens by placing more focus on ourselves. But I actually want to suggest this morning that self-control happens by placing the focus on God and on our neighbor. Loving God with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength and loving our neighbor as ourselves. And here's the thing. When we do this... When we live in an others-directed way, this is what happens. If I am trying to put God at the center, if I'm trying to put my neighbor at the center, I can't remain at the center. Jesus says in another place, you can only serve one God, right? If we are the master of ourselves, then someone else can't be. Our focus can't be on God. At the beginning of Galatians 5, just a few verses before where Paul lists the fruit of the Spirit, I think Paul gives us a picture of how this happens and what, what happens in, as we think about this idea. And so listen to what he says in, in Galatians 5, beginning in verse 13. He says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour one another, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, Paul says, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that, listen to this, you do not do 
whatever you want. Right? Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying that we live our best life in Christ, not when we're focused on ourselves, trying to do it ourselves. The best version of ourselves is when we use our freedom in Christ to become servants of God and servants of our neighbors. That's where the real magic is. When a person lives believing that they are the center of the universe, you know what that feels like? It feels like they're a bully. And bullies bite and devour people to make themselves feel bigger, Paul says, and to remain at the center, to remain on top. But that isn't us. He says we're people of the Spirit. We are people who have crucified the flesh, and we've been baptized. We baptized our old lives into Christ. And when we did that, we took on a new life in exchange. And so now, as a Spirit-filled person, the you isn't controlled by you. It's controlled by the Spirit. Our lives are now guided by the Spirit that is at work within us. And it may be that today, in this room, or someone watching or watching later will think to themselves, I don't have the pa- that kind of power at work in my life, the kind of power that produces peace and joy, the kind of power that moves me off-center and pl- helps me place God and others at the center. And if that's, if that's the case, as you hear and you think about this, man, we would love to talk to you about beginning that journey. Because the first part of that journey is acknowledging that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior and then burying your old life within, with him in baptism and being raised a new creation. And actually, a lot of times people think about that step that many of us have taken as the hard part. I actually think that's the easiest part. Surrendering your life to God is the initial step, but the rest of life is the challenge, right? Continually submitting your heart to God. Continuing to remember that God is on the throne and that we are not on the throne. That, that, our, that our focus and that our aim is to place him at the center, to place our neighbors at the center. Because we believe that the entire Bible is summed up in these two commands. Love God and love others. I, I believe, church, that our world is in need of a group of people that will be more shaped by their focus on Jesus than they are on themselves. And my hope over the last several weeks in this series has simply been to create some space for us to be honest and to wrestle with what it is that's shaping us. Are we more shaped by the news that we watch, by the conversations that we have, by the things that we read that aren't spiritual in nature, right? Are we more formed by those things, and because I guarantee you, most all of those things are putting you at the center of your life. And what will happen if you only consume stuff that is not for, from God and, and godly is that you will be allowed to remain at the center of the world, of your world. But what happens when we shift our focus is that we, we get moved off center and God has an opportunity to be placed on the throne of our hearts. We live in a society that is known for the idea of doing what's best for you, which is by definition a life that is focused on self, right? You hear that all the time, just do what's best for you. But as Jesus' people, our goal, our focus now is to love our neighbor like we love ourselves, to not focus on you, 
to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And what will happen as we do this is that we will find fulfillment like we've never known because the focus will not be us anymore. Ultimately, Paul says, there is a kind of mastery that happens in us. But that mastery, but that power that makes it happen is not from you. It's not of your own making. It's not of my making because God, through Christ, in the power of the Spirit, has shifted the focus. And the power to do this comes from the Holy Spirit that lives in you and me. I want to close this series just by reading again the words that Paul writes, beginning in Galatians chapter 13 and going through 25. If you will hear these words, they're not going to be on the screen, but if you want to follow along, Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, rather serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. But you are led by the Spirit. You are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like, right? You hear all of those things are self-focused, what I want to make my life feel good. And I warn you, Paul says, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God is about God and others. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. They're, they're, they're the opposite of those things. Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires and allowed God to be center on the throne. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. May God help us on the continued journey that we walk. The race is not over, right? This is just a leg in the race. And may the Spirit help us be the people in this world that put others first and ourselves last. People whose lives are being guided by the Spirit for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the world. Let's pray together. Father, we're thankful <clears throat> that we have a power that is at work in us that is greater than ourselves because we are aware of the fact that we, we resist and we, we work against trying to place ourselves on the throne. And we want, we want to invite you today, God, to, to take your rightful place on the throne of our hearts, to be in us what we cannot be for ourselves by the power of your spirit, we ask. Father, we thank you for this last couple of months as we've been able just kind of to soak our hearts in these words. We've been able to think about and, and, and give significant time to uh, the way that you are shaping and forming us. And we pray today that we will be more formed and shaped by your spirit than we are by the voices and influences and external things that so often 
creep into our lives that are around us each and every day. We pray through Jesus this morning. And the church said, amen. We invite you to stand this morning, and we're going to sing another song. And we invite you to respond to God however you need to do that. Do that. Let's sing together. Father, take my life. Father, make my life. 